Isn't that beautiful? Delizia goes to Dallas Baptist University and got a real future ministering in song. Amen? Love the Word. I need a little more volume up here. There we go. How many of you love the Word? Good. We had a really, now I need a little more volume up here, Terry and my speakers or something. Amen. I got to hear me. We had a really cheap guest speaker this morning, me, but I wasn't here. Uh, we showed last night's message on the screen. I'm almost better. I'll tell you, we've been battling this stuff that so many of you are battling, and I just decided to let the screen do the talking. Somebody walked in, saw me up here but not here, and thought something was wrong with them. Where is he? Well, it was kind of neat. I, I kind of liked it. It was, like I said, cheap help. All right. Well, we're looking at vision for the year of 2013. I believe our God is a God of vision. God gives vision to his people. And so I want to look at a second aspect of vision 13. I have four timely words for the new year. This is the second one. My thanks to Pastor Sonny for speaking in my stead last week. I understand he did a great job. The, let's see, the, the ravens are coming and the camels are coming. If you didn't get it, you ought to get the CD and let it bless you. Today I want to talk about a particular aspect of the wisdom of God. Let's stand for the reading of the word. And I want to look at a particular angle or part of God's wisdom that you and I need to have in our own lives, not just for 2013, but for life. But I want to kind of bring it to our attention just for the new year. We're going to read um, out of Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. God is describing himself. He's given us a revelation about himself. And, you know, if God didn't tell us who he was, we wouldn't know who he was in and of ourselves. God is not discovered. God is revealed by revelation. Now, let's read Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. The Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. Isn't that good to know? I am God. And there is none like me. Now, he's about to tell us why there is none like him. Declaring the end from the beginning. And look at what God can do. He can go to the end of a thing before the beginning begins. A little more volume up here, Terry, please. He can go to the end of a thing and then drop back and begin the beginning. He knows the end before the beginning starts. Only God can do that. And that's how God can prophesy. He knows your end before you begin. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Who does that tell us is in charge of the universe? God. He's going to do all his pleasure. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will bless it, minister in it, and give us vision. And Lord, with all of our vision, give us wisdom. Now, can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I receive your wisdom. 
Grant me the wisdom of God for this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him to get wisdom. Now, the first message in this series was get vision. And if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to grab the CD. But I want to talk today about get wisdom. Because it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to have vision if you don't have wisdom. A lot of people have great vision and no wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Now, I want you to notice this aspect of the character and the power and the majesty of God. God begins everything by considering the end. God looks at the end and then begins the beginning. He goes to the end of a thing and he says, now, here's the result that I want. Here's the way this is going to all wrap up. Now let me back up and begin the beginning. He doesn't begin a thing until he's considered the end. Now, I want to tell you that I don't think a lot of human beings act this way and plan this way and live this way, but this aspect of the wisdom of God is what you and I need. We need to learn to consider the end of a thing before we start. See, God always thinks of the end. That's part of the beauty of God. He fully considers the end before he begins. One time I was talking to somebody. I, like, I write books. I've written some books and I'm going to write some more. And one time somebody that, that knew about writing books said something to me that at first I thought was crazy sounding. He said, you know, Jeff, you ought to write the last chapter first. And, and, and I said, why in the world would I write and how can I do that? He said, if you really know where you want to go with a book, you can write the last chapter first and then back up and write all the other chapters leading up to it. Because once you know the way it ends, you know how to begin and it decides the journey that you take. And this is the way we ought to do life. We should do life by considering the end consequences of our decisions. It decides the direction we choose in the journey. This is wisdom. It's just simple wisdom. Now I want you to soak up some passages from God's word right now. Listen to the way that God views things and the way that God acts. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8, this is Solomon, the man of wisdom. He writes these words, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. The beginning may look shaky, but if you're making a good decision, though it looks shaky, the end will tell the story of whether or not it was a good decision. Whether or not it was a good decision is not told at the beginning, not told in the middle, it's told in the end. The end of a thing is bigger, better than the beginning. When Moses was addressing the children of Israel, he revealed how God had an end plan in all of his dealings with them. God looked at his people when he called them out of Egypt, took them across the sea into the wilderness towards the promised land. God had an end in mind. He had an end game in mind. Deuteronomy 8, 15 says, God who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. Now watch what he says, that he might humble you, 
and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Everything God does with you and I, he has an end in mind. There's an end game in mind. See, when God looks at you right now, he doesn't see the way you are. He sees what you shall be. He has an end in mind. He, he goes to the end, and then he backs up and begins the beginning. And he begins working Christ into you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, the likeness, the fullness of the stature of Christ is the end game. And everything he does in your life is to do you good in the end. Thank God for that. Devil hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. God loves you and has a great plan for your life. Amen. Now, our next passage kind of gets me because I see America in this passage. And I, I got to read it with a little bit of sorrow because as Israel was in, in the Old Testament, always messing up, always missing God, I got to see our country there now. Uh, in this passage I'm going to read, God is heartbroken over his people's lack of wisdom. And listen to how God defines wisdom. He says in Deut- Deuteronomy 32, verse 28, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise. Listen to the heart of God. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. God says wisdom is when you look at your decisions and you consider the end game, the final result, the consequence, whether it's good or bad. Consider your latter end. Look at what you want your life to come to. That's wisdom. He's all that they had wisdom, they would consider their latter end. God is lamenting that his people don't have the sense to consider the end consequences of their decisions. And I got to think of America. Oh, that they would consider the latter end of debt you can't pay. Oh, that they would consider the latter end of slaughtering children in their mother's womb. 56 million of them now since Roe v. Wade. Oh, that they would consider their latter end of putting their seal of approval on perversion. Come on, church. Because, you see, there is a sowing and there is a reaping. On a more positive note, God says concerning the righteous man, he says, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the end of that man. Listen, the end of that man is peace. When you choose to walk with Jesus... When you give your heart to him and you sell out to him and you say, Lord, my life is your life and I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, lead me and guide me. You are my Lord. I'm going to do what you said. He said, mark that person, mark them and watch how their life ends up. The end of their life will be peace. When you choose to walk with God, the end is blessed. Amen. It's blessed. Mark the way that man's life turns out. Don't look at a sinner in the middle of their sin when they look like they're having all the fun and partying all the time and doing things that you don't feel you should do. Don't look at their life in the middle. Look at the end. Look at the end because there's always an end. Look at the way their life turns out because I assure you when you live in sin, you will reap iniquity and you will reap death and it will not turn out to a good end. Wisdom says, look at the end. Consider the end. James was talking about Job 
one day. And he says, indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and very merciful. Look at what it says about God. God had an end in mind for Job. If you had gone into Job's life when he was covered with boils, had lost everything, you would look at him and say, well, it doesn't pay to follow God. But there was an end. He was given double for everything, double for his trouble, double money, double children. He only, not double wives, he kept the same wife. But that's the only thing that wasn't doubled. Everything else was doubled. There was an end intended. God's got an end intended for you. That's why it so pays to walk with God. Because in his mind, he has an intended end for you. And it's blessed. And it's good. And it's strong. And it's fruitful. And then there's my favorite. God says, I know the thoughts that I'm thinking about you, says the Lord. I'm not mad at you. I'm not out to get you. He says, my thoughts were thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That's the way God thinks. There's an end in mind. That's the way we ought to think. We ought to think of the end of our decisions, the end of the direction of our life. Where is it going? Everything God does, both in creation and with you and me, is with an end goal in mind, and it's for our good, and it's for his glory. So wisdom advises us, not just this year, but for all of life, consider the end of all of our decisions, and let that decide the beginning. Now, I've got some news for you today. I'm going to pop a bubble, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Forrest Gump was wrong. Now, hang on. I know that depresses some of you. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't even know what Forrest Gump is. It's a movie. Tom Hanks played this guy named Forrest Gump, but he quoted his mother in the movie, and the quote from his mother became America's philosophical um, way of life, viewpoint, worldview. He was being interviewed in the movie, and he says, my mom always said, life is like a box of chocolates where you never know what you're going to get. And Americans went, ooh, what a great philosophy. That gives me holy ghost bumps. Well, not holy ghost bumps, goosebumps. That's deep. That's about as deep philosophical as America gets. Life is like a box of chocolates where you never know what you're going to get. Now, I'm going to say, I agree with that to a point. Some things we can't control. Some things are out of our control, out of our ability to stop it or start it. Some things come into our life that are absolutely unexpected. So in that sense, life is like a box of chocolates. But let me tell you, In another way, it's not like a box of chocolates at all. You get exactly out of life what you put into life. Now, listen to what the Bible says, whatever. Everybody say whatever. You know what that means in the Greek? Whatever. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You know what that tells me? That's not random at all. It shows that we are not victims of fate. We do have a say in how our life ends up. 
Because what we sow, we will reap guaranteed. Whatever you put into life as a seed comes back as a harvest. Today's choices are the seeds of tomorrow's harvest. Guaranteed. You will not sow an apple seed and get an orange. You will not sow a plum and and get a pear. What you sow is what you will reap. So what do you want out of life? Another translation puts it this way. Don't be misled. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit because you will always harvest what you plant. You will get back what you sow more than you sowed later than you sowed. See, that's part of the deceitfulness of sin. The devil comes knocking on your door and tempts you, and you go off and you do a little bit of dabbling with sin, and nothing happens. And you go, well, it was all wrong. The church was wrong. The Bible was wrong. Look, I'm doing this, and nothing bad is happening to me. And you don't realize that the sin is a seed. And it goes into the ground, and it dies, and it germinates. But, dear one, there is a harvest coming. It will sprout up. And you will reap exactly what you sowed, more than you sowed. Because the harvest is always more than what you put in the ground. And it always comes later. It doesn't come the next day. It comes later. Sometimes years later. But it comes for good or for bad. If you're sowing good seed, you may feel like, well, I'm not growing spiritually. Not much is happening in my life. Gosh, you know, I just feel like everybody around me is growing but me. But if you're sowing the good seed, the word of God and prayer and fellowship and obedience to God, seed is going into the ground. It's dying in the ground. It's germinating in the ground. And one day the harvest will come up. And there's no stopping it. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. We'll get back what we sow, exactly what we sow, and more than what we sowed, and later than what we sowed. It's a principle of life. So life is not like a random box of chocolates. Life is more like baking a pie. What that is, is a serious chocolate meringue pie. Some of you are going to be so glad. This is the second service, and you can boogie as soon as this is over and head straight to the restaurant for something that looks like this. Life is more like baking a pie than it is a box of chocolates where you don't know what you're getting. We have a lady in our church whose specialty is baking cakes and pies. She shall remain anonymous in this message for her own protection. (laughs) But her pies are so luscious, so mouth-watering, so scrumptious as to make them irresistibly sinful. They are sinful. But it's good sin. Can you believe that I said that in the pulpit? It's one of those things where you bind the calories and dig in. I've had her pies in my house. And I have tried walking past those pies. They talk to you. They call you. 
They persuade you. Keep a little fork right on the lid of the plate. And don't eat a whole slice. Just grab a bite every time you walk by. But it slowly but surely, no, I should say rapidly, disappears. The pies are so good. I want to use it for an illustration for what real life is like. Because you see, when our pie lady bakes a pie, she first has a vision in her mind of the end. Think about it. She pictures the delighted faces of her pastor eating the pie. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to read that. She pictures the delighted faces of loved ones eating the pie. Here's what she imagines. I know she does because I would if I knew how to do it. She imagines exclamations like this one. Oh, my, what a pie. Or I have never tasted anything so good in all my This is a vision in her mind now. She's got all the stuff. She's going to make this pie, but there's a vision. She starts with a vision. She starts with the end in mind. Oh, you should open up your own pie shop, pie lady. I told her that recently. I said, I'll buy stock in it because you're going to make money. You see, her motivation comes from considering the end. Her motivation springs from considering the end. The end product is what makes her tick. The end is what makes the beginning so exciting. God gave us the ability to envision the end of something. Say, I know that if I do this and this and this, I'm going to reach that end. And that end is so good, so beautiful, so powerful, so right, so worthy, so fulfilling. I'm going for it. She considers the end before the beginning begins. Let me ask you a question. Is life any different? Is life any different than what she's doing? Are we not to consider the end, the final product we desire out of life? When was the last time you thought about the end? I'm not trying to be grim. I don't mean your tombstone. I mean the final result of your life. What will people say? about you who lived on this earth. What will be the end? What will you one day wake up, say, okay, most of my life is gone. I'm going to survey where I've arrived. What have I accomplished? What have I done? What have I lived for? What have I died for? What have my talents gone to? Have I glorified God or have I glorified me? If I chased him or if I chased other things, are we not to consider the end? Wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom, consider the end. What do you envision as the end product of your life? A, a, a fat 401k? A gold watch from your business? Retiring on some golf course and playing golf the rest of your days? You say, well, Jeff, you know what? Really, I'm not sure what I want my end to be. I don't have a clear picture. I really don't have a clear picture. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you what every Christian should have as the, the pie they envision at the end of life. Paul said it in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. He was only steps away from the sword. They would take his head off. 
He wrote this in the final seconds of his life. He surveyed his life. He surveyed the pie. And he said, let me sum it up for you. Let me sum up my life for you. And what he summed up is exactly what every Christian ought to shoot for, make as their goal, live for, die for, reach for. I have fought the good fight. Mm. I have finished the work I was given to do. It reminds me of somebody else. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. My work is finished. We want to be able to say it is finished. I have done what he gave me to do. And I have kept the faith. Now watch this. There was a battle to fight, a work to finish, and a faith to keep. There was a battle to fight, the good fight of faith against evil, against wickedness, against the devil, against the flesh, against the lostness of men. I have fought a good fight. I didn't wimp out. I didn't check out. I didn't bow down. I didn't break. I didn't back off. I fought a good fight. Second, what he gave me to do as an individual, me, Jeff, where he will say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I put my hand on you to preach the word. You preached it to the very end. You didn't back off. You didn't give up on the blood. You didn't give up on the word. You didn't give up on heaven. You didn't give up on hell. You didn't give up on Christ being the only way, the one way, the way to heaven. You didn't give up on it. And a faith to keep. The faith. The faith once delivered to the saints. So the pie we want that we're reaching for that motivates our journey is this one. I want to reach the end and say, say it with me, everybody. I fought the good fight. I have finished the work I was given to do, and I have kept the faith. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. Now, now watch our pie lady here because she had that vision in mind, that end goal in mind. Now watch, having considered the end, our resident pie lady is very careful, very scrutinizing, very picky about which ingredients go in to that pie on her way to the end. Now I guarantee if I was standing there next to her while she made this pie, and I handed her some vinegar. Why don't you put this in it? Oh, get that away from here. Vinegar's never going into my pie. Well, what about, what about this little bit of castor oil? Nobody will really, no way castor oil going into my pie. I am having an end goal in mind. I'm really picky about the ingredients I allow into my dream. Nothing is going to get into this pie that's going to spoil the end because I'm living for, breathing for, reaching for, working for the end. That's what makes me tick, the end. She knows that what she puts into it, she's going to get out of it. She knows what she puts into it, she cannot hide because somebody's going to taste it. Her biggest nightmare is somebody will taste it and go, oh, that's the worst thing. 
I have ever taken. She would, cr- she would fall and die on the spot. She wants only delight and joy and happiness and bring me another one. And how did you do this? That's what I want said about me, my life, to the glory of God. How, how is life any different? What if, what if I brought a pie here today, a chocolate meringue pie that she made? said, after the service, we have a whole table of these, and we're going to cut it all up, and you get a piece. You want me to finish quickly. But, let me, but what if I said this? Now, you need to know, I should tell you, that, that in every one of these pies, there was placed a teeny, weeny, little, tiny bit of strychnine. Don't worry about it. It was hardly enough to cover the head of a pin. Hardly any. So don't worry about it because the vast majority of that pie is chocolate, meringue, homemade crust pie. No one here would touch it. Because you know the wrong ingredient went into that dream and it sabotaged the dream. See, I'm talking about being real picky about the ingredients you allow into your life. Now, I'm going to name a name, and I don't want you to think I'm beating up on them because I'm not. I'm really not, but I've, I've got to make a comment about it. Lance Armstrong. If you don't know who Lance Armstrong is, you're probably pretty rare, but let me tell you, he run, won seven Tour de France's. Winning one Tour de France is an incredible cycling feat and accomplishment. He won one, and then he won two, and then three, and then four, and then five, six, seven. Unprecedented, unheard of. How could this be? Got a yellow jersey for every one of them. His net personal worth was $100 million. But along the way, on his way to his dream, as he was working on that pie, the end result that everybody would taste, he made a mistake. And he put a little bit of strychnine In his dream, he lied. He was doping. By his own admission, he was doping. He lied about it. For 10 years, he lied to the public about it. But his teammates knew it. Some of them had been in the room when he did it, and they did it with him. This champion. I'm I'm an amateur cyclist. I'm going to tell you, you can't go into a bicycle shop without Lance Armstrong being somewhere in there, he was so powerful and so great for the sport. This fame, this image, this pie. Yet, now we have taken a bite. Strychnine's in it. We found out the whole image was based on a lie. You know what it tells us? It's not where you're going. It's how you get where you're going. Because you can get there right and you can get there wrong. You can play by the rules and, and be real and genuine and authentic. Or you can break the rules and cheat and skirt the rules and try to take a detour or a shortcut. And the bottom line is in life, shortcuts never work. You got to get there by the rules, by the right way. You can't sin to reach a righteous goal. I hurt for him. I hurt for his son. 
I hurt for the millions of people that look to him. I pray that he finds Jesus. From what I've read, he doesn't really know the Lord. I pray that he does through all of this so he can find out what real riches are. But I read a quote from him last night. Watch this. Let this quote sink in. Now that the truth is out, that there was strychnine in the pie, he said, in one day I lost $75 million. In one day I lost $75 million. In one day. Young people, listen to me, and all of you in here, listen very, very carefully what I'm going to tell you. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You got to play by the rules. You got to obey the word of God. You've got to get there righteously. You've got to get there right. You can't, you may fool the whole world, and Lance did. I believed him all those years when he said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He sued people who accused him of doing it. Finally, he had to tell the truth. But I want to tell you, 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 if you sin to get there, somehow, some way, someday, it will come out. If you didn't sin to get there, that's going to come out too. Because everybody will know you lived by the rules and you did it right. Listen to the passage again, again about God's definition of wisdom. They are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. You think Lance has not in private said, oh, that I had considered the end. Powerful stuff. Y'all are quiet on me. You know what the good news is? You can change today. You can start living righteously today. Consider the end before you make that decision. Before you go out with that person. Before you make those kinds of friends. Start that particular habit. Go into that place. Before you purchase that item. Before you go into that debt. Consider the end. That's wisdom. That's what God does. Consider the end. And watch this. If the ingredient you're about to put into the pie of your life will result in the glory of God and you're being a stronger Christian than with all your might. Go for it. If the ingredient is going to contribute to fighting that good fight, finishing that good work, and keeping the good faith, then go for it. It's worthy. But if it will not contribute to the fight or the faith or the work, don't touch it. I may be saving some of you thousands of dollars in counseling. Now, having considered the end, I want to say this about the pie lady. One last thing about her. She's not distressed with how the process looks. If we were to walk up on her right when she got started, in the middle of the process, you would wonder how anything good was, would come out, is going to come out of the mess you see. Because you would see flour all over the table, dough, cooking utensils, sugar, salt, butter, shortening, eggs, milk, a great big mess. But none of those things move the pie lady because she knows the end. And you know what I know about you? Your life, your real life is littered with trials. It's painted with questions. 
It's speckled with heartache. It's challenged with tough decisions. The table looks like a mess. But can I give you some good news today? God is not moved by your mess. God is not moved by your mess. This is where God comes in. He says, here's what you do when it looks like it's a mess. Just keep adding the right ingredients and leave the rest to me. Keep walking with God. Keep praying to the Lord. Stay in the word of God. And you leave the rest to him because here's what he's promised. I will make all things work together in the end for the good. To those who love the Lord and are the called according to his promise. That's a promise. Because he's got the end in mind. And it's going to be a fruit pie. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, and faith. It's going to be a beautiful fruit pie is what God sees for you and for me. So I'm going to give you out of the word of God, wisdom here. Think how God thinks. Salt your life with prayer. Sugar it with obedience. Season it with fellowship. Warm it up in the oven of God's word every single day. And trust God who promises, I'm going to make all things work together in the end for the good. I have a good end in mind. Be very wise about the ingredients you allow into the pie. Let me ask you a question. Can we stand together? I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to forget about everybody in here. I'm going to ask you a real important question. You young people, I want you all to think about this. All of us think, what do you want out of life? What do you see when you consider the end? I hope it's the good fight finishing your work, keeping the faith. If that's it, then make up your mind today to live in the wisdom of what ingredients go into the pie. If there's bad ingredients in the pie of your life today, ask God's help in removing them. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just lay something down and pick something new up. It's a constant battle, and I'm not going to lie to you. Satan's always trying to put bad ingredients into the pie of the Christian's life. You got to be sometimes ruthless with it. Just mean about it. Jesus said, if that hand of yours is causing you to offend, cut it off. Now, don't go really do that. He's given us a figure of speech to make a point. Sometimes you got to get ruthless with ingredients that are damaging the end dream. But I want to pray for you today. I love you in the Lord, and I don't preach anything to you that I don't live with, that I don't observe myself. And this is straight out of the Word of God. Wisdom for 2013. Consider the end. Father, we come to you. We ask you in the name of Jesus to help us. With your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I need the main ingredient. I need Jesus. I've drifted from him. Or maybe you can even say today, I don't know that I've ever personally known Jesus. 
I've been in church, but I don't know if I know Jesus. Listen, without that main ingredient, the rest of it is meaningless. You've got to have Jesus to reach the end of what God has for you. I want to pray for you today. Would you let me pray? I prayed for you this weekend. I prayed, oh God, please bring people home to you. Give us souls, Lord. Touch people. I prayed that. And I know he has his eye on some of you. You can say, Pastor Jeff, I've I've known the Lord, but I have drifted. And I want to get that main ingredient flowing in my life again. Because I've considered the end. And I don't see a good end unless I'm really walking tight with him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are? Put it high. I want to see you. God bless you. Many of you. Many of you. It's so important. God bless you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come down here. You know that I am. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. What about somebody who can say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever really had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I don't know, Jeff. I don't know. It's a question mark. Well, friend, if it's a question mark, then you probably haven't. You can settle it today. You can leave with that main ingredient in your life. You can say, Jeff, that's me. I want to be sure I have Jesus in my heart. Would you raise your hand? Don't be ashamed of the Lord. I want to see you. God bless you. Bless you. I'm going to ask those of you that raised your hand just now in answer to one of these two questions. I want you to slip out and come. I want to pray for you right here. Something's going to happen. When you take the first step, it's a step of faith, and God is going to undertake the moment you take a step. If you raise your hand, come quickly. If you can't come down here in church, you'll never stand for him out there. Come now. Come now. I'm going to wait for you. From all over this sanctuary, I'm going to wait. As we sing, you come, and we're going to pray in just a moment. Thank you, Lord.